Welcome back to another episode of Simply Unprofessional. I'm your host tonight, Devin. Joining me, we have Robert. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, Rob. So tonight, um, we are going to do some DM Academy uh, advice. So, Yep. Yep. Webby was attacked by a dentist, so he's not here. He was attacked by a dentist. It was terrible. But it wasn't the, what is that, old horror movie? The old dentist mm-hmm. horror movie. Oh, it was called The Dentist. That's right. Yeah, it wasn't The Dentist. He was attacked by a dentist. So, there you go. Anyway. Rob. So, yeah. I have a couple of these in front of me. you got some in front of you. Yep. And let's see. We're going to go through a couple of these. You got any off the top you want to go through right now? I'm scrolling through mine still. Sure. Um, I have the one that uh, actually got my attention that I came up with. This is uh, how do you feel about saying no to things that can't be justified narratively? Uh, one of my players is a pack chain warlock with an invisible imp who follows him when he was trying to bargain with a shopkeeper for a discount. Uh, I asked for a persuasion check, and he had his imp take the help action. How is he helping you, I asked. He just does. The shopkeeper isn't even aware that the imp is there. He's invisible. Uh, player, the fact that he's with me makes me confident, and I can strike a good deal. Me. No, that doesn't make sense. You need to describe how he's helping you. Player, you're nerfing my familiar. Familiars are allowed to take the help action. Uh, Actually, no, they're not, I don't think. I mean, they can, but I think the familiar help action is only in combat, if I remember I correctly. The help action in general is only a combat action. Yeah. I just think we allow it to be a role play option in our games but if i'm not mistaken the help action is only combat anyway yeah well there's a working together thing uh that's not exactly the help action where it, the, the rules do say that if someone could do something on their own they're allowed to give you advantage by assisting you but yes. i don't think that's that's like how's an imp gonna negotiate yeah, on its own action is listed yeah. under the combat like combat rules so it's actually a it's actually a combat action, which it's probably for that distinction because there are a lot of things that will can do the help action, familiars and things like that, and it's probably for that reason of why they did the distinction between the two. They did the distinction between the two. That's probably the reason why they did it. But yeah. So to answer your question out there, uh, individual, um, technically your answer to your player would just be 
the rules say you cannot. So you cannot. Um, a broader answer, at least from my perspective, is if your player wants to do something and like you ask them for a reason, like or you ask them for an explanation as to how this is assisting them or how this how how are they doing this and they're not able to produce an idea of how they're coming about this um i think as a gm you have two options it's either you follow the rule of well especially if you have a more experienced player i don't i don't know the experience level of this particular individual playing the game but if you have an experienced player who's played dnd who's played role playing games before and they're not able to articulate how the help is, then the action should not happen. Um, if you have someone who's maybe not as experienced playing uh, role-playing games or D&D, you as a DM where you can allow another experienced player to like help guide them to an answer, mm-hmm. then I think that's okay. But uh, ultimately, I think it's up to the player to be able to articulate how an action or how something that's not exactly like that falls in the gray area, right? Something that falls in the gray area on if it'll work or if it won't work, like not naming any specifics, anything like inciting a swamp. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think if you're able to articulate how that works, which I still say I articulated that pretty great, but whatever details, <laughs> uh, uh, you should be able to, uh, you should be allowed to do so. And I did, I found the working together rule set. So it's a, in the player's handbook, it says sometimes two or more characters team up to attempt a task. The character who's leading the effort or the one with the highest ability modifier can make the ability check with advantage, reflecting the help provided by other characters. In combat, this requires the help action. A character can only provide help in the task if it is, if it is one that he or she could attempt alone. For example, trying to open a lock requires proficiency with thieves tools, so a character who lacks this proficiency can't help another character in this task. Moreover, a character can help only when one or two more individuals working together would actually be productive. Something like threading a needle is no easier with help. Well, there you go. Answer that question. All right. Um, I have a slightly different, still D and D, but a slightly different um, question, I guess. Not like a helping somebody out, but I do have a question for you, Rob. Okay. Because I'm curious. Uh, do you what do you believe is the most overrated subclass most overrated sub- subclass yes. of all of yes. them yes since since we've been we've been doing this like D like where we're like rating the subclasses what subclass do you think is the most like overrated i'm not necessarily saying like overused but I'm going to say the most overrated. I know what Webby would say if he was on this podcast. He would say every every subclass in the Warlock is overrated. But Webby has an undying hate for the Warlock because it's just like a three-level class. And in some respects, it is a three-level class. 
um, you can play a straight warlock and they're fine and they're great and they're dandy and everybody's happy with a straight warlock. Don't get me wrong, but they are. It is a a very abusable class. I'm not. I wouldn't say it's overrated. I would say it's just as rated as it is because it 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 is that good. Yeah. But for me, a controversial take. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. Webby will obstinately disagree with me on this one, but my controversial take on this and my hot take is Beer Totem Barbarian. Oh, boy. <laughs> Webby's favorite. I know. I, I think it's overrated in the sense that if you have a party that is like a well-built part, I, I do. I will say this about that class. It's probably one of the only subclasses I think that you can put into a a party that doesn't really like have its its all its it's shit together. It's shit <laughs> together, or it's a party that's just not like a well a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. We're like, there's not a lot of like, and it it, it can act as that glue, right? I do think that's the case. It can act as that glue because it, it, it kind of serves a singular purpose. And you're like, all right, well, I, we know we got a guy on the front line. So now we need to figure out whatever else. But I do also think that even though, yes, being resistant to damage is like a thing. But like for what else the class offers you besides that, and I'm talking about just the class, like without any other weapons or things like available to you, is it just turns you into a damage sponge. And there's not a lot like as cool as being a damage sponge is and being a tank is at that, I, I feel like it's just not a very interesting class to play. Mm. And it's very easy to just pick it and be like, yeah, I'm a damage sponge. I can do a lot. I can take a lot of hits and that's cool, but I don't think it's really an overall interesting class to play like outside of that reality. And I, because I feel like your party like manages their rest appropriately, you sh- you should never be in a situation where you need that much health. And I also think it also because of how that class is, it lends a lot to the uh, to and Rob. I'm sure you can speak to this as a DM. It leads a, a it leads to the DM having to plant encounters, mm-hmm. plant encounters like around the barbarian. Because yeah. I'm just like, well, I can't sit here with the big bad evil guy and trade blows back and forth because this is effectively, you know, I'm going to have to chew through two characters, two high health characters for this to work out. Um, and you can do it, but then it's like, at what point are you just targeting the barbarian and you're not targeting anybody else? And it's like, I think it, it creates giving a, a character that much health and that much of that, it kind of creates a balancing issue. But as fun as it is to rage, I don't think the class offers more than just being an HP sponge. Hmm. So yeah, there you go. That's my that's my my hot take on the subject. Uh, I mean, I guess mine would be a combo of both the arcane trickster and the I think it's called the arcane knight or whatever. It's like. If you want to be a spellcaster, just be a spellcaster. Like there's so many thought, other. I thought you were gonna say the arcane archer. I was like, no, that's just a bad class. That's just a bad <laughs> class in general, Rob. No, it's, it's not overrated. It's just bad. It's just bad. No, I mean it's just like there are so many other good choices for rogue. It's it, but a lot of people take arcane trickster. It's like why? 
if you wanted to cast spells, be a spellcaster. I do I think know. the arcane trickster is cool. Is one of the cooler subclasses outside of combat, but in combat, it's kind of just like, eh. like it's it's one of those classes. Like it's very cool in like RP ish games, but yeah, like I agree with you. It is one. Of, it's definitely like it. It it feels like it's not as good as some of the some of its parts. Yeah. And I think that's an issue with a lot of the gish based classes in in 5e okay. and a lot of the gish classes of D D of old are like that too that's why i brought up before like the uh we were talking about 3.5 i brought up the dusk blade it's one of my favorite classes to play because it's one of the only classes i've ever played that was like a gish class like built into it that played like i felt like i was a spellcaster but also felt like i was a like i was a a fighter like i it, it it saw it actually like fit the balance and like the classes and the themes did it perfectly where i didn't feel like i lost anything i didn't lose anything like i didn't feel like i was i was different i was like combination of the sum of my parts and i wasn't like i was the combination of my parts that i was I, I was different and unique but i didn't feel like i was worse in the sum of, of both my parts you know what i mean yeah and but i feel like yeah i think you're right the the fucking art the arcane knight is kind of like yeah i've probably the least played fighter subclass maybe no the arcane archers the least played is <laughs> the least played uh, fighter subclass but it's one of the least played fighter subclasses like it's the one i was probably the least interested in playing like when i read it i was just like all right like whatever i don't hate it i don't love it i was just like eh, whatever but i think you're right i'll go with that that's a good answer Um. Oh, this is a good one for our for our thing here. Okay, uh, I'll bring that up after. But I do have one uh, for this one though. So uh, uh, you got one? Yep. Go ahead. Uh, was it fair to rule that fire on wooden buildings deals exponential damage? Last session, players just let a wooden fort burn ablaze, thinking it would be okay just because I gave. 8,000 HP for the purposes of defending it. I warned them that it would burn down faster than they think. I gave fire the property of adding a D6 to its damage after each minute goes by to reflect the fact that the fire is spreading and consuming wood. Fire grow, grow, the fire grows stronger as it destroys more flammable fuel. Uh, they were surprised that somewhat upset that it burned down faster than they thought. Part of me is thinking I did the right thing by telling them the fire would be bad for the fort. Part of me also sees their point of why something with 8,000 HP would go down. Was this a bad idea? I think they should just put the fucking fire out. <laughs> no, that's no. You, you told them <laughs> it was it, it, it wasn't going to go well for the fort. I mean, and to be fair, fire and wood don't really mix. So yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I mean. If it was like a stone fort, I'd be like, all right, like maybe a little like going exponential was like not the way to go. But like you said, it was a wooden fort. I mean, I don't know. Because I mean, like how long does battle actually last? Like D&D combat's weird because it's what, six seconds of the round, Rob? Yeah. Well, so, so you have all- another D6 per minute. Let's see. So uh... that'd be 10 rounds. Uh, that would technically mean he added a d6 a d6 every, every uh 
taking the average, it would take about 18 minutes for it to burn completely. It would take 180 rounds. So unless he's not, unless he didn't type out the way he did, and maybe he he doubled the D6 every round, in which case, all right, that could get out of hand pretty quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, he might have also, they might not have been like in combat. Like he would probably like, oh, it's on fire and every minute it's taking a D6 of damage plus like a D6 or whatever. Right, 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 right. So, I mean, if he, if it depends on how he was tracking the, if he, how he was tracking, if he was tracking it like through the combat counter tracker, that's 180 rounds of combat. If he was just tracking it like IRL time, that's still 18 minutes. Ah, like, that's a good amount of time. To be able to be like, oh shit, guys, this fire is spreading. Like, especially if he was like narrating the fire spreading. Like, I don't know the I don't know the context. But he's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, uh, like five minutes in, he's like, you you glance back and see your fort is engulfed. The entire right side of your fort is engulfed in flames. Uh, this doesn't look good, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And they're just like, yeah, fuck it, kill shit. And then it just like ends up burning down on the ground. Like, well, all right, your your fault. Your fault, players. But um, more importantly, if he was like doubling the dice on that, like, all right, that's fair. Because you start off with like 1d6 fire damage on 8,000 HP. Then you go to in the next round, 2d6 fire damage. Next round, 4d6 fire damage. Round after that, fireball. <laughs> round after that, two fireballs. Round <laughs> after that, four fireballs. <laughs> and you're like, all right. This is crazy out of hand real quick. Cause I mean like it would take what? Round one would be one D six, round two is two D six, round three, four D six, round four is eight D six, round five is sixteen D six, round six is thirty-two D six. So it's six rounds, not including all the damage before. At thirty-two D six. And like assuming that like my man stop there. I don't know why my internet's being so slow today, but it is whatever life goes on. Um let me just do this, it's faster. On oh, my phone. Mm-hmm. You're gonna roll thirty-two D sixes. And the result is a hundred and two damage. So it's like all right, that wasn't like the greatest roll either. That was a pretty shit roll. That's 120. So it's like, yeah, like that's that that could get out of hand real quick because then like your that that one round is 100 and 108 damage, not including all the other rounds prior. Then it jumps again and you're rolling 60 46, which again is out of hand, and that becomes. That's 200 damage. You know what I mean? So it, it could get out of hand pretty quick. But more importantly, I, I, I don't I don't think he's in the wrong. Me personally, I don't think the DM's in the wrong on that one. He told the players it was going to be bad. Yep. They, just, they chose not to listen. Yeah, he told them it was burning down, and they were like, eh, we're not going to be bothered to do anything about it. So okay, we're fine. it seems like their fault to me. It, it seems like a personal problem. That fire, psh, not my problem. Don't care about it. And it's like, you know, you say that now, but I feel like you care. Um, But yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, see, okay, okay, okay. 
So I'm not the only one that was being overly pedantic because this guy's like, just to be a pedantic asshole, adding a D6 per minute is 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 arithmetic, not exponential. Exponential would be doubling the damage dice every minute. Anyway, looks like that would take about 18 to 19 minutes to lose all his HP. I don't think that's un- that's unreasonable, at least if you're just saying this is for how fully engulfed in flames and many parts of have collapsed for all practical purposes. It is no longer a fort. It cannot be entered or used. Even if the fire was put out immediately, it would require extensive repairs, probably a full rebuild. Saying that much wood completely burned to smother with ash in the amount of time is probably a bit unreasonable. That much wood would take days or even weeks to completely burn, even if the wood was all completely dry. Uh, then somebody else commented after that, well, the damage per minute increases literally. The damage itself scaled quadratically. Um, I think this is a fair ruling, but I don't think this is why your players were a bit annoyed. If you gave the fort a health pool and that the players were privy to, presume they also knew the amount of damage being done to fire initially, knew the ballpark the damage was in, and how unreasonable or reasonable it would be for that fire to rapidly consume the whole fort. It is not an unreasonable. They would expect that those abstraction of how much structural damage this building can survive as they have been told to understand it is going to continue to reflect the situation in a way that they can interpret easy um okay so reddit users out there listen i'm reading your comment i don't know who wrote this comment it's not loading for me to see the name i'm gonna say this big words and post is the name (laughs) big words my guy big words Anyway, point being is, you told me I had 8,000 HP. If the HP was kept public, or at least, like, the damage rolls on the fort were public, like, I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> me, personally, I don't. I'd be like, oh, that sucks. But, yeah, I do agree that, like, if you describe it as, like, a literal, like, pile of smoldering ash, like, no, that's unrealistic. But if you're describing it as, I'm like, yeah, in 18 minutes, this is the eight. this says for has 8,000 health and when it hits zero it's not a functional fort anymore like it's still there you can see the remnants of a fort but it's not functional anymore like all right that's fair in my opinion you got anything to add to that rob or you you already said your piece on that one buddy i already said my piece they should have put out the flag all right Right. Yeah, I mean, well, there are things too. Like, they, he could have been showing them like how many HP are left or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know if he did that I, or not. I, or per se, it's a learning experience. There you go. Um, what level should I start new characters at when the previous ones die? Uh, this is a, a a topic of debate um, for a lot of people because some people, like we in a lot of our campaigns, we do we just you bring them in at the level and the experience that the party is in. But one, not every group gives experience equally, for one. Two, not everybody is as nice as us, because some people have milestone levels. Like, uh, if you die between level one and five, you come back at level one. Uh, If you do, so your milestone is level one, level five, 10, 15, 20. Those are milestone levels. So if you die, uh, I mean, level, I you come I back at level ten player. I can kind of see that, but I don't like it. Like it's it it encourages people not to just like dive in and get killed, and to be more cautious. Uh, but like, 
at like 15th level and you feel like you're actually getting something extra you're like woof all right 15th level i made like as a personal person like not as a not as like not as a character but as a player you're like fuck yeah we made it level 15 all right i'm good so if i die like in this next big boss fight coming up like at least i know i'm not gonna be like level 10 <laughs> i'll I'm level 15 with the whole party all right great you know, I mean, and people are like, oh, but that's like so weird because they're just going to die fast. I'm like, not really, though, because the level, the XP you'd get would be almost exponential in how much, how much faster you would level. Like, you would probably get two or three levels before they get one level. So you would be 13. As, let's say you died at level 12. You come back as level 10. Before they hit level 14, you're probably going to be at level 13. Um, in fact, I depending on how their XP worked out. In fact, I could look at the 5e XP and tell you exactly where you would be at. Let's say the fight at, that you died in, let's say the fight you died in was at level 12, they just leveled to level 13. Um, so they had just hit 120,000 XP. Okay, so you came back at level 10. Now, you would be, let's see, you'd be at 64,000, which is almost kind of funny to the fact that literally three levels prior is almost half the experience points. So it would take you 21,000 XP to level up to level 11. So they would be level 12 when you get, or level 14 when you get to level 11, but 15,000 there, they would be short, you'd be level 12. 20,000 would just get them past 15, you'd be 13. 20 more thousand, you'd be 14. And then the 25,000, you would be leveling to 15, they hit 17. And then you would need 30,000, and they would need 30,000. So then you both would be there. And you would catch up at level 18 because you need. 30,000 to level up, they need 40. You'd be 17, and then you would need 40,000, and they would need to go to there. You would catch up basically around, you would catch back up pretty quick. It also depends too on if how you look at XP, because some people do XP as a flat blanket number, but some people XP scaled based on your level. So it would, then you would get more XP, but it's a whole thing. I don't really have an issue with it personally. Me personally. I, I don't um, like it because you're, like say you were they were level fourteen and you died and you have to come back at level ten. It's like well, okay, I mean, well, you you're to more likely to die again you know, because level. you could just say it's you know party level minus one, party level minus two, or whatever maybe, or you don't get the XP that the party currently has. So you come back as let's say they're and the border of fourteen about to be fifteen, you die. You come back at level fourteen, but you come back as a fresh level fourteen. So you're still behind you know, 15,000 XP or whatever it may be. But yeah, I mean, that bother me too much. It wouldn't really bother me. It'd, it'd be more like it, it would be if my only thing would be if I was doing that in a game and that was something that was happening. Um, I would also prefer a GM that gave like bonus experience points for, you know, role player bonus experience points for like, performing exceptionally well in a battle because that then gives me an, an an incentive to role play extra hard to catch back up it gives me that incentive to like go the extra mile and do other stuff 
um, as opposed to kind of like phone in, phone it in. So for me, I, I think that's pretty cool because it any reasons or any like thing that like encourages more role play or encourages players to really like to really like jump in and like you know think things through, come up with like a plan for battle or whatever it may be. I think it's really cool. But again, that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I the reason I don't really like the the reducing it at all is because I really like my characters, and if I got one of them killed somehow, then adding on to the top that I just lost a character that I like, I have to be reduced in level too. It's like just kicking you while you're down, and well, I, mean, I that's it's, it's like the double thump. It's like you, yeah, don't let your characters die, dummy. What you doing? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you don't always get a choice. <laughs> But I mean, I could see if, if somebody's being stupid and is constantly like, oh, this is like the third time you've died. I'd be like, yeah, well, this time you're not coming back at the same level as everybody else because you just keep making stupid mistakes or jumping into the thick of battle when you shouldn't be or whatever. Like if they're doing it on purpose and it's more like you're just not being cautious. But if it's like, oh, we've played this for a character for like over a year and suddenly they die. It's like, I don't feel right being like, well, you're going to be like four levels behind everybody else now. Yeah, I wouldn't do I, me personally. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do like the like if I, unless I was playing a game where it was like legit, like yeah, it's a hardcore game. Like this is hardcore as fuck. Like I would do the mouse solos, but I wouldn't do that. I would legitimately just do the whole. Uh, I would do legit do the whole like just you come back at the level of the party, but without the XP the party's gained. Mm-hmm. But also, too, I would be more inclined to do that if I did milestone leveling, not XP based leveling, because I feel like it's harder. It's it's more it's more it's harder to catch back up. XP leveling wise than it is like milestone leveling wise. Um, yeah, like milestone as again, as you do stuff like as your party does stuff, you can as a GM, you can be like, well, yeah, you, you you're fighting bigger and badder things. You're going to you're going to progress faster than the other players in your party. So in a milestone level party situation, I would 100% go for it. In an XP level one, unless I was playing in a hardcore game, I wouldn't like recommend it. But like I would be fine playing in a game on, on either way like that. Because I don't lose characters. I've only lost four characters in my entire D- entire D&D career. One of which I, I wrote- lost one. <laughs> one of which I wrote out. So... Really, yeah. I lost three. One I, I mean, out in a heroic fashion. So, technically, I lost two, but yeah, like one of them, the game we weren't going to go back to the game anymore, and so I was like, you know what, I'll have them go out in a blaze of glory. But that's because we're never going to play again. You kind of lost three at that point because me and Webby kind of did kill your one guy, but he may or may not be dead. We don't really know. Oh, that was a one shot. I don't count that. I know. I know. <laughs> it was kind of a one shot. You kind of came back to it for a little bit. But I got you. It was a one-shot plus. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a one-shot plus. I'm okay with that. You can call it that. One-shot plus. <laughs> Fucking Chris. Nobody <laughs> had to die, Chris. Nobody had to die. All right. So, that's how I feel about that one, personally. And I guess you have one queued up, Rob, or not? I got one that kind of rolls into that. 
Uh, you can go next. I wasn't reading ahead because we were talking. All right. Uh, we're kind of rolling into that. Uh, does does allowing resurrection lower the stakes? Mm, a little, but I mean, you can do like in mine and Webby's world where the more you get res, the harder it becomes to res you again. I say <laughs> this is what I say about resurrection uh, in D and I think does allowing resurrection lower the stakes? Absolutely. 1 million percent yes if you resurrect by the book where it's just fucking thousand gold pieces in any body in any spellcaster basically a thousand gold pieces in components and any spellcaster can you can raise yourself which a thousand gold pieces in any spellcaster can usually you can find that after level five at any point then it's not too hard you know and if you can't you need time to save up the money you can always resort to casting, revivify, and then whoring out your party. Um, <laughs> you will earn the money. Put your bard to work. Now, if your bard's dead, you might be in trouble. Yep. But your bard will not complain about whoring himself out for a little bit of change, because he whored himself out anyway, for free. So, my point is, um, yeah, no, 100%. I, yeah. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, yes, that's I I agree. Revivify especially because it's it's I think it's only three hundred gold for revivify, but I mean basically you have to cast that in battle or it's useless. Uh, or like right after a battle ends, but um. But yeah, so like we like we added in rules to make it more difficult. You can actually fail on the first attempts if even if you've never been resed before. So we made it into a roll, and you get certain bonuses depending on certain things. Like if it's your first time being resurrected, blah blah blah. But it is still possible to fail even on the first time. It's a low chance, but it's still a chance. So. Yep. That's basically it. I mean, I I do think resurrection in the rules is too easy. I mean, it takes a diamond in that. And I think the druids even have, like, one of the druid ones are, like, even stu even dumber and easier to resurrect with. Like, one of the druid spells is, like, the resurrection druid spell is, like, stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the reincarnation where you would have to, you randomly come back as a different race and everything, which is a weird consequence, but... but yeah. But, uh... <laughs> but it's, like, stupid easy to, like, uh, like, use it. <laughs> Like reincarnate, I think it's, it's, it's like a third level, fourth level spell. It's like a stu it's a stupid spell. Like for what it does, it's it's a stupid spell. It's like, oh, this cost me like nothing. All right, cool. Like yeah, I get like that like reincarnating is like something that's like not optimal to your race or like not optimal to your like build. Like, all right, whatever, right? But first off, you touch them, it has to be touch or a piece of them. Uh, they just can't be dead longer than 10 days. It forms a new adult body for it to then call its soul to enter that body. Um, and the components are, what are the components here? It's a fifth level spell. Casting time is one hour. Components, rare oils and ungents. 
worth at least a thousand gold pieces. So a thousand gold pieces for the low, low price of a thousand gold pieces. Don't even need the diamond. Just a thousand gold pieces. Touch them. And all it actually does is legitimately it just changes their race. Um, you just roll a D100. Uh, one through four, you're a dragonborn. Five through 13, you're a hill dwarf. 14 through 21, you're a mountain dwarf. 22 through 25, you're a dark elf. 26 through 34, you're a high elf. 34, 35 through 42, you're a wood elf. 43 through 46, you're a gnome forest. 47 through 52, you're a rock gnome. 53 to 56, you're a half elf. 57 through 60, you're a half orc. 61 through 68, you're a lightfoot halfling. 69 to 76, you're a stout halfling. 77 to 96, you're a human. So you have a really good chance of being a human. Um, and 97 through 100, you're a tiefling. Yeah, well, <laughs> Webby and I also adjusted that for our games because... It, like it's actually not human isn't the easiest one it's elf because there's so many varieties of elf well technically of elf. Mean, in terms of like shooting well technically if you want to go that it's like elf or even uh dwarf yeah so we we added in all the races for one thing so you could come back as a centaur and shit now on our list yeah, but like it has cool. it has the one list and then if whatever you hit like if you hit elf then it has a sub list of the types of elves, and then you roll again to see what kind of elf you come back at. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> but yeah, that for in fucking rules, it, it, the reincarnate spell is stupid in the sense that it, you really won't lose anything. You just lose your racial abilities and your racial shit. But like, if your race isn't that impertinent to your build, whatever, right? Like, it might fuck up your build a little bit, but like, whatever. I'll be back in one second. Take a muscle. You are fucking life. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna find another topic. Another thing right here. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, some short questions. Let's find out some short questions. Um, how is it going, everybody? I will have you guys know. Uh, I had a great day today. Uh, I'm just gonna just fill dead air. I won eight hundred dollars. At the casino, it's true. Actually, I won eleven hundred dollars. I cashed out eight hundred and then lost three. But I turned fifty dollars into eight hundred dollars. So you know, it's not a bad day. Not a bad day. It's not a great day, but it's not a bad day. Um. I'm back. <laughs> I was telling them how I turned fifty dollars into eleven hundred dollars today. It was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. Casino? I was playing. <laughs> I, was, I, I honestly, yeah, that's what it was. I was playing DraftKings Casino. I was like, I'm gonna put like fifty or sixty bucks on here and just play some blackjack. I'm playing it. Had a couple of good hands, and I was like, all right, all right. And then I played like another game for a minute, and like I won. I was like, all right, cool. I ended up turning fifty fifty dollars into eleven hundred dollars. Then I cashed out eight hundred dollars, and then I. Lost three hundred dollars, but I'm still up, so it's okay. <laughs> I want eight hundred bucks, so that's well, what matters. Very nice. Uh, yeah. All right. So, um, 
next one I came up with, and this is like more of a wide question. Like it, it, this is the question that's here. Mm-hmm. But this could apply to a lot of different items and things. Uh, while wearing half plate, is it possible to remove the pelodromes and, uh, and the chassis to perform them into, to transform it into breastplate? Uh, he's like, I have a ranger who thinks they should be able to add or remove pieces of armor to enable stealth situationally. And me, personally, there are rules for donning and doffing armor. Mm-hmm. And I think, personally, that the only difference between a breastplate and half plate is exactly what he's removing. And if you have half plate, you have a breastplate. You're just choosing not to put all that on. And if your player knows the rules and is willing to calculate the ac on the fly i don't have a problem with it yeah i mean why not i mean they could mechanic i mean people will be like oh well mechanically it's not supposed to work that way it's like but mechanically they could have a half plate and a breastplate and just carry one around in their pack and just wear the switch between the yeah. two so yeah i not, mean like it's, literally it's it's that simple i mean you'd be kind of like that weird guy walking around like fucking a bunch of plates you're basically just Iron Man, just build like a second, like a, <laughs> build like a dressing station. You stand in like magically, like all these like pieces like pop on you and shit. <laughs> but yeah, hundred no, percent though. I don't see. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I don't see an issue with it. I mean, even like looking at half plate or the full plate or whatever, there's usually like, it's not all one piece of armor. There literally is a breastplate and then there's like strap, leather straps or something that connects to it. The connects the arm, the shoulders to the plate. And then there's straps that connect the arms to the shoulders. It's like, it, it all is pieces. <laughs> Just like if I'm being completely honest. And I'm going to ask you this question, Rob. And you're probably going to say, honestly, never. Um, have you ever thought of your character? When you thinking of your character wearing armor, like your leather armor or whatever? Have you ever thought of them wearing a hat, a cap? Because it definitely comes with a cap. Uh, for the armor, no. Uh, but I have, like, my characters. Some of them have magical hats, so they, no, no, they do no, no, wear hats. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, technically, like your armor, like the armor you buy. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, like when you read it, it comes with a leather cap. Like you're like a leather like leather armor comes with a leather helmet or a le- uh, leather cap. But I laugh. It's like no one ever envisions their character running around with the leather armor cap on. No, it's just not something you. It's not cool. Like. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, like <laughs> along those lines in video games, I if there's an option to like hide, hide helmet, it. like yeah, you I always hide do. the helmets. You always it's like, do. Like nobody thinks of like nobody thinks of like their character in leather. And, le- and the only time I ever will do that is if I'm making like a legit knight or something like that, and that's mm. what I'm doing. Like, and that's like what I'm doing for. Like, it's like okay, that's his thing. Yeah, but it's like almost all armor comes with a cap. It's like weird as funny and, and it's hilarious to me. And I don't it's, it's to the point where I don't even think they actually describe it anymore as having a cap, but like it, it 
Yeah, they probably don't because there are so many like magical helmets, and people would be like, "Well, do I have to keep the the and armor helmet on for my did. D or like?" Because like, the, it historically like, always did. Yeah, and it's really like funny. The, like you look at it, it's like yeah, and I mean to be fair, that's the probably the most important piece of the uh like armor. Like if I was gonna if I if I was gonna go into battle and I only could take two pieces of armor with me, it'd be a helmet. And a chest pit, like a chest piece, because you want to protect your head. <laughs> you want to protect your, you know, the giant target on your body where all your squishy organs are, which is your chest. So it's just funny to me that like nobody ever envisions their character running around and like that, unless you have like a magical helmet on. Yep. Yeah, like I said, like my. My uh, writer has a, currently has a magical top hat. It becomes a tensor floating disc, so I do picture him walking around with the top hat on. But otherwise, no. Like I don't picture any of the others that have hats. Well, actually, my one of my characters each has, has a bucket that he wears on his head. So <laughs> I guess him too. That's a really. I've never even thought about this. Has anyone ever? experiment it with potion expiration dates mm. so it news anyone who has played skyrim and key list having a potion you save for a rainy day that could very easily not use potions or players use their inspiration dice in sessions to get them can't remember if that's raw or hb homebrew but i like giving potions but don't want my players to just hoard them I'm not 100% certain how to implement it, but probably do something like when you get it, mark which chapter you get it in. All of our sessions are for one chapter. Must be used within the next two chapters. So you can try this before. Uh, guys, like I just eyeball it. How long you had it? 28 sessions, which is six months in game time because we had that time skip. It heals 1d4 list because it's old. Um, yeah. I don't like it. They're supposed to be magical. Why do they need to have an expiration date? I mean, but to be fair, though, it's like it depends on like. Well, like long, I would never bother long, to buy a magic. How long does ma like mundane magic like potion magic last? Like forever. Um, that's why you find them in old like dungeons, still in like boxes, and you're like, oh, these still work. But I don't know. I just like I would never buy a potion if they expired. I would never bother to buy a potion. It's like why the fuck would I? I'm just gonna waste I my would, money. I was going for the specific reason. I mean, I don't think they should expire like, like, like milk like within a week. <laughs> but like, um, I would buy one only if I was like going into battle. Like, and I knew we needed like the extra healing. Like, I would I would use them that battle. That'd be like the the. I really do think this is the thing, right? I do think potions uh need more need more love because I feel like they don't get used often. Because healing in 5e is fucking everywhere. And it's really hard to die in 5e. Mm. Um, not as hard as 4th edition, but it's damn hard to die in 5e. 4th edition is stupid for trying to die in 4th edition. I have gone into battle in 4th edition with the soul and purposes of dying, and I couldn't even achieve it. Bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. That was when I, at the end of my 4th edition career, and I started to hate 4th edition. I was like, I'm just going to make a character going to battle and I, my goal this battle is to die and <laughs> I couldn't die Rob <laughs> I tried <laughs> but yeah um, 
I mean, I'd be okay with it, but like, I'm always like, I'm, I'm the hardcore guy. Like I'm the guy that likes like anything that will make a game more difficult and make my life more, more, more challenging. I'm all for it. I am the complete opposite. You I are the opposite. Not to die. <laughs> Harder is to die, the more I enjoy. I'm not saying I prefer to die. I'm saying like the the opportunity and the 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 chance of death, the higher that is, the more like the more into it I get, the more like brain power I will pour into that and be like, yes, because I don't want to die. And I get my enjoyment out of that. It's kind of like chess where like every move you could lose a chess game two moves into the game and not realize it until you lose, you know, an hour later. And I love that about like games like that, where like, because it's so fragile and because it's so like deadly, I, you have every choice is there has to be the right choice or as close to the right choice as possible. Cause you may not always get like that, that safety net to be like, Hey, I can, I fucked up, but we're good. Like you fucked up. You might not be good. <laughs> And I love that. I, I I fucking love it. See, I see. Like I prefer, like I don't like no consequences. But I, I really just like dying, and because it's like, well, then the character story is over, and they never get to do anything ever again. But like, if there are consequences for things, like maybe you couldn't rescue someone in time and they died or stuff like that, like that's the kind of consequences I prefer. Uh, in video games as well, but because right. obviously a lot of video games, like if you die, it's game over and you just restart from where you last saved. So technically, you can't die in video games. Uh, well, I mean that's not completely true. There are some where you're like you well, have multiple characters, a, and if some of them die, yeah. well, that's a roguelike game where like you die and like the game just restarts. <laughs> like you're like, all right, well, restart again. You you know, yeah, but like it, I don't know. I just I just don't like dying and then having the story be over like i prefer like some kind of emotional or whatever consequences instead right. well i mean i think it also boils down to like how you view the story of the game if you view the story of the game as like the individual player characters like then that's one thing but like i view like any campaign i'm in i view it as the story of our group and the group and for me like yeah like if i die I hope I left enough of an impact to like, you know, let's say like, you know, we go into battle and we, you know, we're, oh, we're fighting a dragon and we, we kind of been riding, you know, riding high for a while and we just kind of go in and we're grossly underprepared for it. And I die. Uh, I would hope. And my hope is that like, I left enough impact on the group where like my death fundamentally changed the group. So my story isn't over. My death changed the group where now they're like, we're not like, you know, they're, they're hesitant to go into things without properly planning or they, you know, for me, that would be more, that's more impactful than me as an individual character could ever be is like me dying and, or like with somebody in the group dying. And then it's just like, Oh shit. Like, you know, basically, like, you look at the situation as a whole, it's like, we caused this, like, this is, there's no other way around it, like, we did this to ourselves, and then you having that realization as a player, when that kind of goes through you, and then goes into your character, and you inject that into the character, and then that, it gets injected into the group of, like, 
yeah, we're the reason why this happened or yeah, like us not being prepared and us not properly planning and us not like being cohesive is why this happened. And then it kind of forces the party to change through a bad experience. And because of that, like, and then any character that interacts with that party down the road is going to now be faced with that. Right. Like, and say what you will about like the distractions game. I think a lot of that is that is a lot of that distractions game. A lot of the old baggage from old characters carried over and for better or for worse, kind of poison that group. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same thing. Right. So, and pretty soon, like you're going to have a group in like the darker kind of like bleaker games, which I, I, I like those games personally. You, you end up with a group where if they've had a lot of hardship, you end up with this gr- a group that is not so much a collection of their experiences, but a collection of their failures. Um, yeah. And I think that it's, it's a really different kind. It's kind of a dark mirror of like your standard campaign group, which is why I like it so much. Like you look at it and you really have this, this like look at the other side, right? For every party of like great adventurers where nothing goes wrong and they win you have the the party that sets out where you have one member who's been around for everybody he's the last surviving member everybody else in this group is still fucking brand is like new and just got got roped into this group and then they picked them up along the way and or you know or nobody is but you have this new group of people who for one reason or another are all kind of carrying on this this torch or carrying on this mission because they've all kind of been picked up and hodgepodge along the way and it kind of really just adds to like a different type of gaming feel and a different type of gaming experience for me anyway that i really do enjoy that like it, it it's it's just like a different feel of a group because it, it it feels more like more authentic and more real and more like the anti-hero story because it's like at a certain point like you don't even expect yourself to succeed but you do yeah <laughs> and yeah i don't know it's something about that for me which i i just really like enjoy but like i also like there also is merit to like the other kind of group where like you know there are consequences but like not to your group directly there's consequences to people who interact with your group but I also feel like you need the right kind of players for that environment because you've the consequences that don't affect the group very quick and then just affect other people very quickly. Just be like, well, not my problem. <laughs> and then you move on <laughs> and you become the murder hobos that you were trying not to be. And you realize sometime along the way, the murder hobos were you all along. <laughs> and that's kind of the truth. <laughs> Where you just kind of murder things and shit happens, and you're just kind of like, "Oh, that sucks. That's terrible." All right, well, peace out. <laughs> but yeah, you got any more of those, Rub? Uh, yep, yeah, I found uh, alignment and magical items. Need advice, rules, and mechanics. Hello, fellow DMs. In general, I don't really use alignments in my game. I ask my players to set it to neutral, and then I tell them that their actions in the game will determine how others treat them. However, I stumble when it comes to magic items and other in-game situations that require alignments for how they work. 
Uh, in these circumstances, I often ask the players what they think their current alignment would be. To be honest, player perception of their character rarely aligns with how I see it. I also see posts where player states, DM, you can call my alignment whatever you want. I'm going to play my character the way I want. Some even seem to advocate learning the table. Uh, if the DM suggests alignment changes, are people reacting to alignments? Uh, advocate leaving the table if the DM suggests alignment changes or people reacting to alignment. With this in mind, I am curious how the DMs deal with alignment-based magic items in in-game situations. Thank you in advance for your thoughts. Uh, well, I mean, I myself see alignment more as like a guideline for the player. Like, I don't, I'm not like, oh, that's against your alignment. It's kind of like, okay, you could pick your alignment to help you, guide you, like, if you're unsure how your character would act, so like, if you chose an alignment that's good, it's like, well, you probably wouldn't murder this person, but it's really up to the player. It's like, uh, that's the, I, I just see it as like giving yourself a guideline as to how you should react to certain things, yeah. but I don't I by any means make people stick to it. Uh, I but I do know there are some magic items. that's like, oh, you can only use this if you're an evil line character. You can only use this if you're good. And then some of them have different, uh, things that happen depending on what your alignment is. For that, I would, I would probably just tweak it, uh, and basically, like whoever ends up using it, I would be like, okay, well, this is what it does for you, and not have it tied to alignment, have it tied more to the character themselves, <clears throat> like using my own judgment. Because, like he said, that when he asks players what they think their alignment is, it's not what that he sees it. So I would just like not tell them it's tied to alignment and just tell them what I think it does for them. <clears throat> yeah, I agree on that one. I mean, honestly, I feel like alignment has kind of become a such a afterthought in character building for the most part. You're just like, oh, well, we're in a good, this is a good party game. All right, I'm some form of good or some form of neutral. Um, my personal favorite alignment is, um, is true neutral. Like I love a true neutral character, mm -hmm. uh, just because it's, I, you rarely will, will play lawful characters. I don't play lawful characters hardly ever. I chaotic for me and eh, like, all right, um, chaotic characters I, I will play. Uh, but like to give you an idea, if I'm not mistaken, Tez was true neutral, or he might have been chaotic. I'm pretty sure he was true neutral though. Um, but I just love like the the flex of a true neutral character because it really lets you be, especially when it comes to being like a human, it really shows you like what it's about. You're not necessarily about. You don't always try to be about yourself. But in some situations, you are. You you don't strive to be good. I really think alignment should be taken not out of the game, but should be there should be rules for like you start off as something, you know, you start off where you start off, but there's actually like almost like a, a good way to implement it for systems would be like kind of like vamp and your uh I can't think of what it's called. Your like your your creed that you follow i can't think of what it's called right now 
but where every level is like what you know there's like i think it's maybe like 10 dots and every level is what you um like it's a different like tenant or a different like principle that you live up to and i think that'd be really cool to like actually really deep dive into like that because like you say you're a neutral good character but are you really a neutral good character like and how deep on the neutral good scale are you because like at a certain point if you're neutral good you shouldn't be dipping too far into the the evil you can you're free to play as like the chaotic you can be a little bit more chaotic or a little bit lawful but you shouldn't really deviate too much from the good at least too far in too many directions right so i think that's kind of like what people really should look at when they're making their alignments and i think that's one of the important things is you have like if you're chaotic good you're you're good you're a good character that's the important part you're a good character you should always think like a good character but you may achieve your actions. You're more most likely to achieve your actions through some type of chaos. But just because you're chaotic doesn't mean you have to be chaotic all the time. You could easily dip into more of a neutral stance. Okay, be like a neutral good character. Or if you're evil, you shouldn't be de- dipping too often into the good category because that's two two alignment steps away. You know, you have to go through neutral and then good. <laughs> to get the good and that's proud of it usually like you play with alignment steps that used to be a thing where you were like your alignment was like you could you only really should do actions that were like one step away or you could use items that were one step away in your alignment so if you were like true neutral you could use neutral good neutral evil chaotic neutral um or lawful neutral aligned things or you know neutral good neutral evil however you want to look at it right either way one step on either side you can't do like oh i want to do lawful good no that's two steps you're taking two you're taking two spots and taking it two steps so it's kind of like an interesting thing i don't know i feel like they should bring that back but like as far as items go that are like alignment aligned i I don't really think they're overall. I don't think it's. If you want to like wave that hand, wave that. I don't have an issue with it because I think it's kind of silly. And I feel like you just cherry pick your alignment to best fit the group or your build. I mean, I guess. I mean, I well, I tend to not. I never go lawful because I feel like you're tying your hands and your ability to do stuff with being lawful. Well, so I mean, like, eh. you, as a paladin specifically, you are. Paladins used to only be able to be lawful. Yeah, and that's not lose. true anymore, though. It's not, and they would lose their powers if they weren't. But it's like, as a lawful character, you you <laughs> really you really have to like follow the law like ninety percent of the time. I mean, yeah. but yeah, you which, should. This is but, what I mean. What by tying your hands, like you can't do things that are against the law in order to advance like to do what's necessary sometimes which is why i usually go i usually go neutral good because i mean sometimes chaotic but and then or or true neutral like i can't i can't play evil characters like it bothers me too much to be evil and then the legacy awful i feel like it's tying your hands so i usually fall within the last like the upper left hand corner for (laughs) 
or upper yeah. right hand corner from where I mean. I think lawful oh. good's probably lawful good or lawful evil are probably the two hardest classes to play. But I do think they're the most rewarding classes to play if you actually can pull it off, like alignment wise. Um, they are the most rewarding characters to play if you can actually pull them off. Because I think it, they, they, by default, lawful characters have a lot of RP injected into them. Yeah. But yeah, so. But yeah, that's how that one goes for me anyway. Uh, sorry, I'm setting my alarm so far I forget what I'm thinking about it because I got doctor's appointments in the morning. Hmm. This is not one that's being asked, but I'm going to ask it because I'm 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 curious to get your insight on it. Okay. Uh, players who take up because I think this is like especially a lot of our games. This is like a le a least traveled route, but players who want to run like successful businesses selling crafts or selling wares so like you're a blacksmith and you're selling armor or you're selling weapons or you're you know and that's like maybe that's your your adventuring hook like yeah no i'm i'm traveling i'm a blacksmith and i'm traveling the lands i'm traveling with this party to gather exotic materials to make like weapons or you're even something as simple as like you're a wood carver and you're like a druid, but you also do like wood carvings or wood sculptures. And what is the, uh, I guess, the upper limits of one should be allowed to benefit monetarily from their hobbies, I guess. Or like mm. their, you know what I mean? Like, is it fair to the party if you're, let's say you have, again, like the, like the blacksmith idea. Is it fair to the party if he, you know, you guys do stuff and he ends up getting a a dragon's tooth or he ends up getting an item or he ends up getting like something cool and makes it, you know, makes it and rolls really high and he sells it for thousands of gold pieces. Is that fair to everybody else in the group or as a DM, should you cap the amount of money he can make or like don't role play it out just be like yeah you make items weapons you sell it every you know every session sit down roll me roll me like 2d20s that's how much gold you made from selling your wares or when you get to a town selling your wares hey roll me 2d20 all right you go to shop that should be roll me 2d20 that's how much gold you made is there should you should you limit that or should you allow that and at what point do you be like, hey, uh, this guy is smart and he's like just he 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 has a high crafting or he has whatever. He's spending all his downtime crafting and selling weapons and he has a stupid amount of money compared to the rest of the party. I um, mean, I would allow it for several reasons. 
one is people can do things for money. Like the rest of the party, like the rogue could go and steal money from people. The bard can go and perform to earn money. Like, why can't this person use their ability that they have right, to right, earn right. money? And I guess Dude, you're like I if you're building it. Like but, you said about the dragon's tooth. Like, well, why are they letting him extract the dragon tooth if they want money from it? It's like maybe you should all like agree. Hey, we'll give you the dragon's truth so you can make this out of it, but we want some of the profits. Or he could be like, I'm gonna take this dragon tooth, you guys take the blood or whatever. Like, there's more than usually like if you just came across a dragon tooth on the road for some reason. Like he could a like pay for like pay the rest of them. Like, okay, well, you know, if we just sold the dragon tooth, it would be worth about this much. So like he could be like, Well, I'll pay off your shares if I can take it and make a weapon. So that way everyone's getting a little something, but he's getting more because he's taking the effort to work on it and make it into some kind of thing that he could sell. Also, I wouldn't have him be able to sell it at any just anywhere you went. Like if you went to some like if you're in the middle of some village, like and you have this master sword or dagger made of dragon tooth that's like thousands of gold, no one there is gonna have the money to buy it or have a reason to buy it. Like right. you'd have to find someone in a big city, you'd that have was, to look for a buyer. Like, that was more like an extreme example. Like the yeah. dragon tooth is more like a extreme example. No, but I like, got you. But like, like if somebody what happens if like every, literally every town he's just like he stopped, you know, all this downtime, he's just like yeah, I'm gonna melt down, you know, the weapons that we got, melt them down, and forge a weapon. But he has a uh, items or whatever that gives him a particularly good high roll, so he makes quality good weapons. So then he goes and he's selling them, and it's like I wouldn't have a problem with it personally. Me, I, I think it's funny because it's like if somebody, if a player came up to me and complained, I would literally look at them and be like. What class are you? I would open the book and be like, what's your background? Okay. You have access to this kit, this kit, this kit, and this kit. You are you have you have options to do pottery. You have options to do a lot of things. You're just choosing not to. That's on you. Um, if he wants to finance and run his business this way, he can. Um, but I, you know, is there I guess is there a limit that should be placed to a degree on like what I would be more inclined to do it like kind of like a mix, right? If it's a if it's a high quality item, like the dragon's tooth, or you know, it's a specialty item, right? Mm -hmm. Or you, you know, he's figured out a way to like forge magic into his weapon and his weapons, and he's selling magic weapons or something like that. Yeah, like I would be more inclined to be like, all right, this is gonna come with a price tag on it. But it's up to you to do the research on what it's worth. Like you got to go search it out and price it accordingly. Figure out what it's worth. Do the research on it in character. Do the research on it. Figure out what it will be worth. Sell it. But if you're just like to stop like the mass production of just like every everywhere they go, they're like, oh here I'm selling this masterwork sword, uh, hundred gold, hundred gold. I would just be like, all right, you're selling items. All right, you're gonna go spend your day in town. Roll me two d twenties. This is how much, how much gold you made selling your wares, you know, that kind of thing. Because I think it will get out of hand one of the, and it's also, if, especially if the party knows it's the case, then they're going to just funnel all their money through him. Like, oh, hey, you roll really well making items. Sweet. We're going to kill shit. We're going to give you materials. You're going to make it. And then we're going to sell it for way more money. Um, so I would do it that way where it's just like, hey, you know, like you to a town, you sell your wares. Obviously, you're going to sell your wares out. So I would say, like, you know, he spends time making wares. <clears throat> say, 
hey, you know, you're going to melt down these bandits' weapons and reforge them in, into good weapons, I'd be like, all right, you can get three or four good weapons out of that. So, you know, that's going to be, give me, you know, D20 four times or whatever it may be. Roll it. That's how much gold you got from selling those weapons. Cool. You Obviously, you don't have enough time to do it again the next day. You got to go find materials and shit like that. So, whatever. But that's why I would probably do it. Where So, it, he still feels like, or the player still feels like they're getting value out of their out of their craft and as time goes on i would 100 percent give them you know maybe a bonus you know they have a name they have a name to you know they they start a name you know hey they're they're known for selling quality weapons give them a bonus to that role or they they've made weapons enough at this point where they get bonuses to their crafting roles um they're becoming a master craftsman or whatever it may be give them or they only you know you could go the flip side you you, where they only craft quality like they instead of making you know instead of sitting there and doing that where let's say like any weapon they roll they roll their craft check they're like they're perfectionist they're like nope if i don't get uh if i don't roll a 17 or higher i'm not the weapon's junk so they throw it away whatever it may be right but the weapons they sell, so let's say they only sell 20 weapons in their whole career, but these these 20 swords, these 20 weapons are like, as far as non-magical items, they're the the pristine, they are the, they are the creme de la creme of weapons. Well, yeah, you may have people come seek you out for a weapon. You know, the, you may have like a, a guard captain. You may have a guard captain that comes out and it's like, hey, uh, I just got this. I just got this. I need a. I want a weapon. I'm willing to pay, whatever. But like, as them as a player, as as they're doing their material and they're doing what they're doing, I would kind of adopt that to them. However, they so chose to fit. If they're just selling for value, if they're just selling to make money, just like making decent weapons and selling them for money, then it's going to reflect in their pay. But if they're a little bit more picky with how like what they're doing and what they're making, I would 100 percent do that. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. I I must say that like I like that idea the 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 end part but the actual like beginning sales part like I would do a little different I wouldn't have it be like I would have them rolls of craft stuff to see how good quality it is but I would more like do a quick like not literally like RPing it out but like a quick thing like say they took bandit swords like they're not going to get a one for one because you have to melt them down you have to like you're going to lose some of it like maybe every like two swords you could make one like more improved better one so but it like it depends on the roles and like if you're it's crappy like you wasted time you're you have to like try it again also it's like well where are you going to find places to melt this down you're going to have to either pay someone to use their forge or you're going to have to wait till you get to wherever your base is every time to do this or uh yeah make a forge yourself yeah oh you're going to travel around with a forge i mean you you might you don't know you don't know my lifestyle you know what I got? <laughs> anyway, but like then hey, when they got places, to... I got some really hot dragon's breath, and I'm my own forge. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so like I would have them if they had to use like somebody else's place in the town or whatever. I would like make them charge, so it's not they're not getting as much gold because they have to pay to to use the forge and stuff. Uh, and then two, like I would have them like whatever swords, like if they tried to sell them, say they made three swords, I would be like, okay, well, you had two people come that were interested in your swords. 
this person offered this much and this person offered this much. Do you sell them the swords? And they can say yes or no. And if they say no, then they, they still have three swords and then they can try like in a different town. But it's like, well, and then I'd be like, well, you're in a farming village. It might be who you more to make farming implements instead of swords kind of thing. Uh, and, but obviously they're going to sell for less, but you're probably going to get more customers, like things like that. Like just quick little like, OK, no, nobody was interested in your swords or, yeah, you found this many people that wanted swords. This is what each one's willing to pay. Do you sell them or not? Not like a whole like, OK, I'm going to come in. I'm going to haggle like that would take forever. But. <laughs> But that's the way I would do it. And then, like you said, once they if they start to get good, then people might actually like come and be like, oh, I hear you make really quality weapons. So blah, 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 as they went from place to place. See, like I have a whole thing. Like the reason why the reason why I brought that up is because I was like one of the characters I do want to play eventually or if, you know, God forbid something happens to something happened to Laz. I got a backup character and uh, I do want to play him, but he's going to be like a specifically just, just so just, just a, a weaponsmith. He's he, he, he is a source of himself, but he is specifically a weaponsmith and he's very picky about his weapons. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, yes. So like in a game like Miss Taven, where there's only one city, obviously you could have your forge in the city because you're not going to be able to ever leave it. Yeah. So <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's very picky about his swords um, that he makes, or he would, would sell. Like he would, he will throw away a hundred swords before he sells one of them because he he is very picky about that. Yeah. And then also, to, I guess also too, how would you look at like because it's like there's never really a process for like explaining how magic items are created. What would be the process for like? In, at least, like in you, like creating, like how would you allow a player to create a magic item? Would it be? Like... I, I, I have in my other games. So it, I usually give them a recipe of things they have to find and okay. how long it would take. Recipe of items and things like that, or yeah, I mean, because like I know, like for me, I was thinking something similar. Like yeah, you have to do the recipe, or you can like if you can, if you know of someone who's magic, you can they can infuse a spell into into it that would give it a certain property or whatever it may be but it's going to obviously increase the dc of it or increase the increase how hard it's going to be to make it make it work mm -hmm. um, another thing would be like there used to be there used to be back in the day there were there were items that were called uh masterwork quality items mm -hmm. and basically they were just items that would give you a they weren't magic they were not considered ma they weren't treated as magic weapons they were just plus one weapons so like for instance like um kind of like if you're gonna look back at, at game of thrones like those like the weapons in game of thrones that were like given to the house those would be like masterwork quality weapons they weren't magic but they were just forged and made with such with such high quality at every step they were sharper they were more durable and they were just better off than your standard steel sword would, would have been or whatever it was so like yeah i would like basically like, oh, yeah, at any point in time in the crafting process if you you know nat 20 or you however it worked out right you nat 20 or you rolled it over a 25 with with your modifiers or whatever it may be um that weapon would come out to be 
masterwork quality. So it would it would give a plus one to damage roll or plus one to attack roll, but it was not be considered a it wouldn't be considered magic for the like for the sake of being counted as a magic weapon, but it would be like masterwork and it would be like among the top quality a regular person would could feasibly possess without being considered like without you know magic being involved um and that kind of thing so i think that would be that would also be like something i would look into like i have a whole crafting book here for like black blacksmith that gives like dcs and shit like that and how long stuff takes to craft and yeah but yeah yes 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 yeah, that's how I feel about all that. We are at a little over the hour mark, so we yeah. want to wrap up. Yeah, we can. We can totally do that. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming out. I think it's, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, I got some life advice. Uh, life advice is when you're down and broke, gamble. Just gamble it all away. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Not all the times, but sometimes it works out okay. You too but, can have an extra eight hundred dollars. You too can turn fifty dollars into eleven hundred dollars by following <laughs> these three simple steps and subscribing to my course right now. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be terrible. Um, don't, everybody don't, listening, you know, don't do that. No, I was just gonna say, everybody listening, gamble responsibly. Only gamble with money that you don't need. Yes. Yes. Uh, if you're if you're, if you're afraid, if if you can't afford to lose it, don't spend it. Um. But in all honesty, though, follow your dreams, everybody. You know, follow your dreams. There's a life out there that you want, and you deserve it. You just have to work for it. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's not. Always going to be easy. It's okay. Just push through that and push for that life that you you want and that life you deserve, and you will get there one day. Uh, I also have Science Corner. It's a horrible Science Corner, which I hate. Hated reading every minute of it and the pictures. Uh. So scientists have found a way to turn dead spiders into robots. No. I hate everything about it. No. That sounds like a terrible idea. Why would you do that? It is a new field called necrobiotics. That, no. They're they're typically using wolf spiders, which are humongous. (laughs) Why would you, why? To learn how better to make robots with grip. Because spider legs, like well, spiders, curl up when they die, and they're studying why, and they figured out that their their legs are basically like hydraulic pumps. So they figured out a way to make the, the spider legs open and close, and basically work like a claw machine claw. So now they're studying ways to make the individual legs work, which will help uh, in ro- robotics. But I hated the pictures because they had a spider picking up another spider, and I. <laughs> this is terrible. Why would you do that? I don't know. Science, what are you doing? I, I, uh, 
I don't like. I was like, you're gonna make robot spiders because don't, people don't like regular spiders. I don't want a fucking robot spider robot around my house. You want eight legged freaks? That's how you get eight legged freaks. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> was it a, was it a bad movie? I haven't seen that movie in a while. But point is, no, <laughs> don't do, <laughs> don't do it. Bad, don't do it. It's not good, Rob. It's not good. But anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at DMP underscore Pookie. You can find me on Twitch one day at Mr. D3. And as always, you can find me on eBay not buying robotic spiders. No. Um, and Rob, where can the people online find you at, sir? You can find me on Twitter at Confessor underscore X and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Confessor X. Alrighty. Um, Again, thank you guys for coming out. And as always, fuck Booster Gold. Fuck Booster Gold! And robotic spiders. Fuck yes, fuck gold. robotic spiders. Fuck all spiders. Yeah, actually, oh yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, fuck spiders. <laughs> Except for the ones that, like, the ones that just chill in the corner and they don't do anything. Like, I don't have an issue with spiders as long as they're not hairy and they don't, like, in, in, encroach on MySpace. And I don't mean, like, the website MySpace. Like, I mean, like, my personal <laughs> space. Don't encroach on my space, all right? Like, we're cool. Like, you sit in the corner, you eat flies or some shit. I ain't mad at you, bro. Chill. Do your life. Live. Be cool. Listen, I'll fight with spiders. They're not in the house. Stay outside. But like, That's all like I ask. When I wake up and there's like a spider like descending from the ceiling like five, like, like five inches above my face, I have a problem. And the only solution is not more cowbell. It's a shoe and some bug spray. And you're not going to like the outcome of that mr spider and if now now i gotta fight robotic spiders which ain't even cool man fuck robotic spiders but all right guys thank you guys I the kind of wear tie. hopefully next week we have you i tried that life but said goodbye Simply unprofessional. Simply unprofessional. Never.